Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. This week's guest had anxiety since the age of four years old. No one, not even her parents, teachers, her first psychologist, or even later the people in her workplace, understood what she was going through or how to help. It took over 20 years for her to get a diagnosis and another 20 years to research, learn, and develop the insights, understanding, thinking skills, and psychological strategies to get anxiety out of her way. She now shares practical evidence-based insights, strategies and skills to help parents, educators and other professionals and the children in their lives find freedom from anxiety, fulfill their potential and thrive. A combined nine years of university study with more than 20 years of professional work in educational, clinical practice and elite sport, She has seen it all, heard it all, felt it all, and flourished through it all. And her ambition is to assist others to flourish too. She's the author of two insightful, practical, and impactful books on anxiety. Firstly, her best-selling debut book, Anxious Kids, and now her latest book, Anxious Mums. Hi, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jodie Richardson. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's such a joy to be with you. No, no, thank you for thank you for giving us the time to come and come on board and talk to us. So, look, I'm I've I've introduced you as I do with all my guests and sort of given a bit of background. But you were saying that you had anxiety at four. Yes, and like what did that look like oh yes I obviously could only tell that it was anxiety in hindsight it's interesting as you learn more about yourself isn't it as your um, experience of anxiety or you know mental health challenges unfolds that you can look back and put the pieces together what I can distinctly remember is that I started with a very upset tummy which is a classic symptom of anxiety And we know why. We know that when the body's going into fight or flight, blood from the digestive system is shunted and and moved. It's relocated to large muscle groups so that we can defend ourselves and we can run very fast away from whatever the threat is. So digestion is not needed when we're fighting for our lives. And so it makes sense that the tummy upset is a symptom that a lot of people experience. But it's also a tummy... A tummy upset that <laughs> that's our that's our dog who always uh, comes and goes. So sorry about that. Um, no, that's right. <laughs> a tummy upset is not accompanied by a fever. It's not accompanied by some of the other signs that might look like gastro or a virus or something. And so, of course, when I said to mum, "I feel really sick. I don't want to go to school," she would look at me and say, 
you look pretty good to me. So, and off you, off go. you go, which is a bit the very best thing. Very, very best thing. Um, I also had breathing problems. I couldn't catch my breath. I'd say to my mum, I can't get a full breath. I, and we're, when we're anxious, we, we can breathe in very short and shallow ways and it puts our carbon dioxide and oxygen out of whack, out of balance. And so we can have this need for kind of trying to get that full breath, but we're too stressed, anxious and tense to be able to, to get it. So that they're the, yeah. the things that I remember and, and I remember it was because I was in a very, very stressful classroom situation. Oh, okay. Wow. So um, obviously at four you wouldn't have recognised that, like you said, mm. and you recognised it later. But and and like and like I've said, it took you over twenty years to actually diagnose this. Mm, it did. Nobody Which, understood. No, mm. I mean, how? But twenty years—that means you were like twenty-four. Yeah, I was. And so, so how did how did it get recognized? When I became depressed was when I sought help for my mental health. Not even having a, an understanding of mental health at the time, I was a a teacher. And I remember, I distinctly remember just slowly but surely becoming more and more miserable. And and from an objective point of view, I remember thinking, this doesn't make any sense because from the outside looking in, when you look at my life, I've ticked all the boxes. If you, if you were to have boxes to tick, I was in a loving yeah. relationship. We'd bought our first home. We had our beautiful puppy, uh, our first child um, in, in terms of our fur baby. I had disposable income and good friends, family. Otherwise, my health was really good. But I also could balance that against the idea that I just felt so sad and was becoming increasingly difficult to feel any sort of happiness or any sense of hope. And so I thought, yeah. I better go to the GP. I better go to the GP because something's wrong. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Because I suppose if when you looked at your life, everything, you should have been happy about it. You should have been grateful. It's all of that. But there was just something there that just meant you just what there was something missing. Was it, would I be right in describing it as something missing? It, it was, it felt more than that. It felt like there was, oh. it, it felt the way, from the way I felt when you feel depressed, it's just a chronic sense of, sadness and nothing brings you any joy nothing brings you joy you feel so hopeless and you feel as though it will always be like that you start to wonder whether or not life could ever be the same again and we know now and I know through my professional work and my learning and study and research that our circumstances don't contribute nearly as much to our sense of uh, life satisfaction or happiness as no. we give them credit for. And so, yeah. you know, starting to feel like that, well, actually I was sort of deep into the depression by the time I sought help and to go to the GP and to explain to her what I explained to you. And she said straight up, she said, I have a good understanding of what it is that you're experiencing and it's called depression. And I was so relieved. Yeah. I was so incredibly relieved that she was able to label it and yeah. said, there's lots of help available. We can get you help with this. Um, yeah. And that was I, a I, point. Yeah. And like, I, 
Mine is always, so I've been through depressive episodes, but I don't think anywhere near what you have. Mm-hmm. So mine has always been like a roller coaster. I find that I go, and maybe it's my hormones, who knows. <laughs> but I find I go through like a couple of weeks where I'm really low and everything, you know, everything is so on top of me. But then I tend to drag myself out of that and go, you know, come on, like pull yourself together as such. But when it's depression, you can't do that you can't do that roller coaster thing you can't then have the ups and the downs it's it's just that oh, oh sorry you, for, for a period of time and and it's interesting what you say because as a single mum it's harder for you when you're a parent I wasn't a parent at the time and I was very lucky I was actually still living at home uh no sorry um no Peter and I that's actually no I I I I realised now that I was living at home. We were in the process of buying our home. So I was living at home with my parents. So I was very well cared for. Um, but I did what I could to get to work. And the very best thing when we are depressed is behavioural activation. It's actually doing the things that you don't feel like doing because ultimately that's a beautiful path to, to healing. But, um, yeah, eventually you just get to a point where you you just can't function. You just can't, yeah. and you just spend most of the yeah. day in bed. Wow, mm. I'd love most of the day in bed, but not with depression. <laughs> I must admit, no, that's fine. So then, okay, so and like going to your GP is one of the best things you can do if you feel like that, isn't oh, it? Oh yes, and and as early as possible because. They, you know, they will recognise, you know, what's going on and they will point you in the right direction. Yeah, yeah they, they absolutely will. And, and you know, we're lucky now that there's so much awareness and there are helplines as well, like Beyond Blue and uh, there's Parent Line if you're a parent and you're struggling and you need some counselling mm-hmm. and some direction. There's uh, obviously Lifeline if you, if, you, if you like to call Lifeline as well and Nurse on Call. There's lots of different uh, helplines available, but... At the time, uh, all I knew was just I needed. I had a, was really lucky to have a great GP that I could uh, connect with um, very quickly and easily. So I just sort of booked in with her. And GPs are an amazing port of call because what what often people find too is that you might be experiencing really low, extended low mood, but there are often very good reasons for that. And really, uh, what I was going through was I was. I had not been able to experience the grief of the passing of um, my father, who was who would have become my father-in-law when Peter and I got married. We had to postpone our wedding because of my mental health, and uh, because he had passed away, and I was very had a really good relationship with him. I didn't really want to grieve and lean on my husband's well husband to be's shoulder, um, yeah, because it was his dad. It just sort of felt like oh me grieving his dad leaning on his shoulder and seeking comfort from him when um, it should be the other way around yeah. just really, yeah. I think, stunted that grieving process and I didn't uh, I didn't experience my feelings in the way that I would do if, you know, if and when uh, an- another big event like that happens. Of course, I should say when, not if, because they're inevitable, aren't they? Yeah, and look, and I suppose also like, was that the first time you'd experienced something like that as well? Because, like, it's 
you um i know when i've dealt with trauma like like that i mean the first time it happens the very first time it happens which i think was a grandparent from what i can recall i mean it there's no there's no manual for this right there's no like it's whatever you feel right um and so it's a horrible thing to say, but like when it happens again, you've been through it the first time. So you sort of can recognize the signs and things like that. And like you said, it is inevitable. We will all experience it at some point in our lives. Mm. Um, but you you can then go, okay, so I'm, I'm understanding where I'm at and I know that I'm, you know, uh, this is a sign, this is a sign. And, and I suppose going to GP, getting counseling, uh, talking to somebody, wh- whatever it may be that actually helps you to get the right tools in your toolbox to then recognise and be able to manage it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the GP is a brilliant place to start because they can connect you with somebody. Uh, they can be there as, as a listening ear as well. And and sometimes that is, you know, extremely healing from the outset just to be able to have a conversation. Mm. And so I encourage someone going to the GP who's attending for uh, their mental health, sort of seeking that that yeah. help is to perhaps book a longer appointment so that you don't feel rushed and that you can ex- sort of express what it is that you've been experiencing and why. And um, But, yeah, w- whether or not there's a, a good reason, uh, I mean, I, I've fronted up to the, the, to the GP since having my depression diagnosis and seeking help. It was discovered that I had uh, practically a lifetime of undiagnosed anxiety, which once I healed from the depression became the yeah. ongoing uh, uh, challenge, yeah. I suppose. But other times I've, I've uh, gone to the GP when I felt that my mood is going downhill significantly and had that chat and talked about the circumstances and and the GP, you know, says, well, it's a good reason for this. This is all part of the natural, yeah. you know, flow of human emotions and it's so important we experience what we feel but I'm careful not to let things go too far before checking in because I wouldn't want things to get to where they were that one particular time back in my mid-20s. Yeah, and look, at the end of the day, we're not machines. No. You know, I mean, all these blooming machines and AI that are going on out there, you know, at the end of the day, we're human. Yeah. So we do have thoughts and emotions and, you know, we're not a machine that you just put something in it and out comes a you know data program or whatever um so yeah no I know and look and if you have if people have concerns about their children and I want to get on to looking at kids as well and kids and recognizing anxiety in children because um the earlier you can deal with anxiety or depression or uh, any of those the better really isn't oh, it absolutely because they are treatable and the sooner you get the help, the sooner that you can start to break some of the patterns, particularly with anxiety, a very strong pattern and a classic sign of anxiety is avoidance, which is that I don't want to go to school, I won't go to the party, I can't speak in front of class, I don't want to sleep over, I can't go to camp, I don't want to go for the promotion. And and all of those experiences are really difficult and the more we avoid, it becomes sort of a downward spiral and so breaking those patterns having an understanding of what's happening and developing new skills and strategies to manage when the anxiety is coming up or when there's a set of circumstances where anxiety you know will start to bubble up um, then absolutely the sooner the better don't hesitate because the worst that can happen is you'll go to the GP and you'll say look I'm concerned about this and you'll have a conversation whether it's about you and they might they might say 
look, I'm actually not concerned. I can see there's circumstances in your life that are uh, that are reflected in what's happening. Let's come back to me in two weeks, come back to me in three weeks. And if it's a child, sometimes a parent will take a child and the GP will say, do you know what, actually what they're experiencing is developmental. So I'm not concerned. I don't feel as though we necessarily need any further action. If you wanted to, you could do this, but we could revisit it in uh, in a couple of weeks or a little bit down the line. So oftentimes going, you can get that reassurance that, hey, this isn't as big as I thought it was. And so, yeah, why wait? Just uh, get get that appointment booked. Ask the question because um, at least you're on a path to the help you need or you get the insight into what's happening, why and how you can start managing it from that. Well, exactly. And like in my situation, so my son went and saw a therapist three times because he was going through the I don't want to go somewhere, I don't want to do something sort of situation. And it was starting to concern me and uh, it was suggested to me, well, Go to your doctor, see if they can suggest a therapist. Go and take him to a therapist and see if they can, you can talk at, talk about what's going on. Mm. Find out, is he depressed? Is he anxious? Is there something else going on that you need to be more aware of? And um, we only went three times. She was like, yep, his anxiety is high um, and it's due to these situations and here's some solutions around dealing with those situations. I suggest X, Y, and Z, which basically supported what I was doing anyway. Yeah. Like it was great. But three times we went three times. She went, I think we need to see you again. Um, he's fine, you know, within yeah. himself and everything. Um, but these situations, you need to put boundaries around these situations because they're causing his anxiety. And that was great. So it was almost like I had a professional person saying, yeah, what you want to do is the, is the right thing. And so we did it. I think that, that was sometimes, especially for, for children of an age where you can attend the appointments with the children, and some children mm. really love that no matter what age they are. Others prefer to be alone. But when you're there and you've got those insights, sometimes it just gives you that confidence that you are making the right decisions, that the boundaries that you're putting in place, that the uh, the way that you're approaching the situation is uh, in line with what a professional would recommend. And yeah. often too, I think as a as a parent of an anxious kid, it can be easy to sort of tiptoe around a little bit more as well and perhaps not address the normal everyday things that as parents we address with our kids. And we don't want that either because that's another type of avoidance. And so it's okay. really... So how do you, if you think your child is anxious or is giving you the, I don't want to go to school, I don't want to do How do you approach that with them? And, and like, Because I can understand some people would be sitting listening to this going, well, I'm not going to take them to the doctors just because I don't want to go to school for a day or whatever or a week or, you know, a term. And, you know, I I was getting that from Oscar and I, sh- well, and I don't know this, so I shouldn't say this, but like some of the time I feel sure it's because he can't be bothered to get up, get dressed, get out the door and, do it and maybe that is the case because it is only occasionally but I don't know it could be that there's something going to be happening at school that day that he's anxious about that he doesn't want to deal with so how do we as parents not dismiss what they're saying and try and get to the bottom of it and find out is it because they're really anxious or is it just that they're bored don't want to get dressed and want to watch YouTube all day sometimes it's hard to know 
Sometimes it's hard to know. (laughs) And when it, when it comes to anxiety, a really great way for parents or any of us to think about is anxiety actually, is this a problem? Because we all, what's worth noting is Mm. we all experience anxiety every day. It's very normal. We go, we dip in and out of fight or flight. A door could slam, a dog could bark. Uh, You could walk into a room that you think is empty and someone's in there. Uh, You're having a meeting with the boss who doesn't say, I need to see you at three, all good. That's, we want that all good. Because yeah. (laughs) I hate that when they go, oh, can can we just have a quick catch up? And I'm going, oh, okay, what have I done wrong? Who's made a complaint? What haven't I done that I forgot I was supposed to do that I really just don't, you know, all yes. of it. And, it, and that is anxiety. Yeah, it is. It? It's all that anticipation yeah. of a threat. It's all that future thinking. And I think all the worst stuff, like it could be, oh, they want to give me a bonus. They want to, like, I really should change my mindset a little bit to like, I'm getting told off. But I suppose that comes from my childhood. Oh, it's very, it's a very protective mechanism in our brain. And the the idea of the alarm that goes off in our brain is all about keeping us safe. And so if we can mitigate, uh, you start to think about what, you know, start to worry about what it could be. Can I mitigate it? What can I do? How can I gain a sense of control? over this situation, that's all very natural when that happens. And we have a natural negativity bias as well, because again, that's what helps sort of keep us safe from an evolutionary point of view. Um, but you know, the key, one of the key insights is that if it's if it's really getting in the way of daily functioning, it's a problem. And so if you have, uh, everybody needs you know, a day out of the routine every now and again, we all do, our kids included. And so if it's the odd day out of the blue, uh, then, and their temperament and everything else about them is pretty crazy and you haven't noticed anything particular going on with them and they haven't said anything, you could, you know, reasonably assume that, you know, they're just a bit tired and keep those conversations ongoing, let them know it's a one-off. But if it is a week, you know, if there's a child that doesn't want to go to school for a week, then that, because unfortunately a school refusal kind of gets its claws into family life. It's very, very serious Mm. and it's very hard, very slow. It's possible to come back from absolutely, but it's a slow process and a challenging one for parents and for kids. Mm. So really the idea is, is, is anxiety getting in the way of daily functioning? So if, I use an example often. My daughter has a friend who has a phobia about chickens. Now, that's terrifying for her, but it's not really getting in the way of daily life. It's huge, high anxiety in the instance that she pops around here and we keep our chickens. Oh, and you've got And we've got a not very nice rooster. (laughs) So um, so (laughs) I'm a bit scared of the rooster, actually. Um, So that's, as long as she doesn't, you know, want to grow up and be a chicken farmer, which she never would because she's so frightened, yeah. it's not a problem. You know, it's something that she may choose to deal with, but it's not getting in the way of day-to-day kind of operations for, for her and, and getting her friendships and school and. Yeah, and going places and doing yeah, stuff. that's right. Yeah, unless there's chickens there. <laughs> and I have to agree with her. There's only two animals that I would eat really, and that's chicken and fish. Uh. Because fish, you don't know what they're thinking, and chickens are just nasty creatures. Well, it's they pick on each other. Yes, and like yes, yeah. we we see right. that 
Second we order. see that. And and the rooster is very protective and he's only doing what, but I do, I mean, I'm vegetarian, so I, I couldn't, don't eat chicken, but I do tell him, I do say to him every now and again, if you're not careful, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Off you go. You go into another, you go into a rooster farm somewhere else. Yeah, no, fair enough. No, but that, yeah, no, I can, I can understand. Okay. So sorry, let's get back on topic. So, okay. So she is, um, so it's not really affecting her daily life as such. Yeah, is correct. What you're correct. About the and so, in 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 answer to going back to your question about sort of how do we know? It's open communication. It's really mm. being um, present. So not just in company of our kids, but being present and being there and and keeping communication lines open with our children and uh, letting them know we're available for them. And and when they do share with us something that's going on for them. Really the the thing that they need first and foremost is empathy and validation. So Mm. we can immediately become anxious. I think sometimes when our children share an issue with us, yes, we can become anxious and we want to, we can, and that, that there's this contagious nature of anxiety. So they, our children can read that in us. And then all of a sudden we're not the calm parent that will co-regulate with them and help them settle their system all of a sudden our system's winding up and that's hard for those of us who have anxiety as parents but an understanding of it is a first step to being able to help manage it but the empathy when they share what's happening the very first thing is to say oh my goodness that that must be really hard I'm I'm sorry that you've been going through this or um I'm you know I wish that that hadn't happened today or oh that happened to me when I was in school and it really didn't feel good and and validate how they feel because all feelings are valid, all feelings are okay, and that's the first step. And then from there, maybe not in that moment because when there's very high anxiety, it's hard to think straight, but that could open the door to getting a bit more of insight about what's happening at school. And if they don't want to go, connecting with the teacher as well. Uh, For those of us that have kids who have very close circle of friends and we have a close circle of mum friends, you know, it's easy to pick up the phone sometimes and say, oh, has so-and-so said anything about yeah. what's happening? And and you peel back the layers and, and start to get to the bottom of what's happening so that you can, you know, address it. But the avoidance of any situation just amplifies the fear and threat of that situation, makes it so much harder to attend to. Um, yeah, and I, look, I agree with you, the staying calm business, um, because... Um, and for various reasons, my circumstance is slightly different potentially to other people listening to this. But like I have to be very careful with my son that I don't react to what he's telling me, whether it's about my ex-partner, his father or whatever, that I don't react. Because if I react, it means that I'm not going to tell you anything again. Um, and um, I have to be very careful how I manage that with my ex-partner, his dad and communicating to them about the things that I've learned, that sounds already seedy, but it's not. But yeah, it's just around managing my ex-partner and also managing my son and the conversations that happen around that. Um, but I've found that not reacting and going, okay, well, thank you for telling me that. That's really good. And like, I, you know, okay, that's, you know, exactly what you said. Like, oh, that must have been really hard being in that situation has sort of meant that he's gone, oh, Okay, so I don't have to be scared about telling you something. You actually sort of understand what I'm saying or are trying to. So, I like, I agree with you. And, like, and 
completely like agree regarding anxiety i don't think i think every parent whether you suffer from anxiety or anything like that all has anxiety when your child comes and tells you something you go oh that's not supposed to happen or how could that have happened and you and that is the intake of breath and that's your first oh my god okay but also another thing i interviewed a gentleman the other day and another thing that they said was don't try and problem solve your Mm -hmm. child's issue like don't go straight in and go oh well if somebody's doing this to you at school you need to do x y and z or if you feel like this you need to do x because as parents we want to problem solve we want to take all of that away from our children um and just make their lives great and happy but what we're doing is we're not we're not helping them i agree wholeheartedly and an important message for our children to learn is that it's not Actually, I don't like the word normal. I'm using air quotes, but it's not normal to be happy all the time. It is not. It is the human experience is one of highs and lows. And so so much of what makes life amazing and rich and full and full of meaning can be really, really hard. And we just have to look at our relationships or being a parent or Obviously, this is a, you know, a podcast geared at a, a, you know, a large group of the community who can really relate to that, that, you know, there's so much um, good that can come from relationships, but there's so much challenge. And so if we help our children develop this idea that it's completely normal to have all sorts of emotions and we don't need to fix it, we don't need to cheer them up, we need to let them experience what they are feeling and have a safe place and a safe person to do that with. And sometimes it could be asking them, depending on their age, what they need right now. And some kids will say, I I need to be alone. Or other kids want to snuggle with mum or dad on the couch, or they want to play with their dog because, you know, it's just that beautiful, unconditional love and that beautiful calm that pets can bring into our lives. And so uh, that in that immediate moment, I think when that the pit of our stomach drops when we see the look on our child's face or they tell us something that's happened mm. for us to sort of really give them that empathy. And, and it's, it's what we want to, you know, I, I share a, yes. a brief story with you. My, one of my beautiful girlfriends rang me uh, a couple of weeks ago and she was just sort of dipping her toe in the water to see if there was a possibility that uh, the following Sunday I would be able to, fly to her, fly to the Bahamas with her on her to accompany her on her work trip. Airfares paid for, oh, accommodation yeah. paid for. And I was just in this fleeting moment, just going, oh my gosh, picture myself in that beautiful water and on those beaches just with nothing to do but just relax and read a magazine or a book. But I had recently tested positive for COVID. And I knew that there was no way known. I was going to have a negative PCR to fly via the USA. I just knew it. And and I shared it with my gorgeous husband. I got off the phone because she'd run quite late. And so Pete's like, oh, what what was that um, phone call about? It's unusual to talk that late at night. And I I said, he goes, well, at least we got to go to Eden. I felt like Eden, for everyone who's listening around the world, Eden is actually uh, in country Victoria. Actually, it's, so, it's the south. You know, in, it's the south Australia. coast of New South Wales. Oh. Yes, 
Oh, there we go. No, South Sea, I don't oh. know. What do I know? I'm an English person oh. in Australia. No, 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 but it is. Yeah, yes, no, and you're it's, right. It's a beautiful <laughs> little spot. It's a little fishing town, but it ain't the Bahamas, let me tell you. And whilst no. it was a beautiful family holiday, in that moment what I needed someone was to feel really, really um a lot of empathy with me, you know, just to say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it's such bad timing. I'm, I bet you're so disappointed. That must be really hard. <laughs> and then a couple of days later there was some no. sort of a joke and I'm like about the Bahamas. I'm like too soon, way too soon. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. so we we no, need sure. it too. We don't want somebody to come in and tell us why we shouldn't feel that way. And I, I, I need to add that Pete and I have been together a long time and he's absolutely amazing. And most of the time he responds in the way he's he's learned is the most helpful response over the years but we're human and we don't always yeah, get it right. exactly yeah and like you know exactly and he probably wasn't even thinking at that time when he made that comment and but this is the thing isn't it you know he might just have been joking and laughing thinking oh well you know you you know you can go because you've got this test and liminal covid oh. but yeah Oh, don't. I know. I know. I know. Um, So what I wanted to ask while you were talking about those different situations and scenarios is where does anxiety come Mm. from? Like, where does it, is it nurtured in us through being in the family that we're in? Is it, is it nature? So is it in our genes as such? Do we, you know, is it, has it been imprinted three or four generations ahead of, you know, in the past and we just get it through our genes and I know there's big discussions and I've spoken to several people about this imprinting of trauma and imprinting of you know anxiety and various different things like that so where does it come there's, from? There's definitely the intergenerational aspect of it and I can speak to that in my own family my maternal grandfather had OCD and oh, okay. very severe, severe. I mean, OCD, I think, look, I don't need to say severe. If you have OCD, it is severe. It is a yeah. very challenging mental health condition. My mum has anxiety that she, and I share this with permission, she has anxiety. And so there was that genetic coding. And in 30 to 50% of people who experience anxiety, uh, it there can be that genetic coding. But in the same way that we we all have genetic coding for muscle growth. So we can all build muscle given the right stimulus, which is lifting, you know, weights, moving against a resistance regularly. So the coding can be there, but it might not necessarily be switched on through a stimulus. Whereas for me in prep, when I was only four starting prep, as we did back in the late seventies, um, that, Going into a double class of preps, there were 53 of us. Oh, my God. Yeah. Two teachers, 53 preps. And, wow. you, I mean, exactly. You can just imagine how stressful that was for the teachers. And, and we were a lot of us were very young. I mean, these yeah. days most are sort of five going on six. So um, there was a lot of tension in the class. There was a lot of yelling. Uh, there was a lot of uh, just tension and stress. And I could just feel it. And it evoked this reaction in me and other kids in the class could have been in that same experience and not experienced anxiety as a result of that, depending on what they were used to at home. There wasn't a lot of yelling going on at home for me. So it was a very, very different environment. So that was a trigger for me. So there are other people who 
can experience a very distressing uh, uh, event in their life, uh, perhaps something at work, in the workplace, uh, perhaps um, a proposition by a colleague, uh, yeah. an inappropriate proposition or something that is um, puts you in a very um, stressful, threatened position depending on the power ratio uh, between you and that colleague, for example, and then that that because it's the brains, the brain we have senses that are looking out sort of for cues of safety or danger, and this neuroception is happening all the time. And so, the minute that you found yourself in a a threatening situation with, say, a colleague in a workplace, then the anticipation of confronting that colleague or seeing that colleague or having to work with that colleague in an ongoing way um, will trigger this anxiety because it's preparing your body for the threat that we have to face. It's powering us up in ways that really um, are going to put us in a position where we're the best prepared to run or fight. Yeah. And so when we think about the symptoms, not good. It's, 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 you know, in a, in a nutshell, it's our brain and body's response in anticipation of a threat and that's where it comes from. So it can, it can be something triggered that was sort of programmed in our genes or it's something that is caused by an external event and usually a combination of both. Yeah. So with that understanding then, can, can kids just grow out of it on their own or do we need to because some people say, oh, they'll just grow out of it. Mm-hmm. And I go, mm, do we need to, like, we need to help these children? Um, and I'm, I'm specifically saying kids because, obviously, once you get to adult, when you get to an adult and, like, there's no growing out of it, then you're an adult, right? So, um, but I don't know. Does it does it wane? It's it's really interesting. I I recently was chatting with a friend and colleague of mine, Anna Maritos, who's in the UK, and she was saying she is a group therapist and she was saying that she, she, when she works with clients regularly and over many years, Mm -hmm. that she sees anxiety resolve as people take the time and and it's, 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 not always easy to do that, but in a safe, beautiful space, and Anna's amazing, uh, yeah. you, you can do that. But it's most most often we talk about anxiety as something that we learn to move to its rightful place, something that yeah. is there to protect to manage. us, to manage. We need anxiety to keep us safe. We want our kids to have that anxious feeling in their tummy when somebody they don't know meets them in the car park when mum's running late and that person says, hey, how about I give you a lift home? Mum said to give you a lift, she's running late. And yeah. when that, that the, even though it's not at a level of consciousness, the if we help our kids to tune into these feelings in their body, those gut feelings, that's anxiety doing its job. So we need yeah. it. But it's when it's getting out of hand, it's when it's bubbling up under circumstances that are not threatening when it's an opportunity uh, as you're getting a little bit older to go and have that first sleepover at a friend's and there's so much anxiety about separating and lots of worrying thoughts about what will happen to mum if you're not there what might happen to you and this overwhelming sense of anxiety in the body all of the physical symptoms that just 
really say no, no, stop, avoid, because it's all about protection. So completely normal anxiety we need and what happens is it rises when we're facing a stressful situation, when we maybe um, we, we might witness a car accident and our heart races and we 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 become sort of anxious in the moment because our fight or flight response because there's been this oh, yeah. very loud noise. But then, oh, we realise, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. No one was hurt. Um, there's help. I don't need to do anything. Off you go and you continue on your way to your coffee with your girlfriend, um, you know, for a catch-up. And then your system starts to settle, the heart rate slows, the breathing returns to normal, the muscle tension releases, the tummy starts to feel okay. That's what's that's what it's that's normal. Normal. Yeah? That's what that's it's meant normal. to do. But what you're saying is somebody with anxiety that's that it's affecting their life, it they wouldn't have that come down as such through want of a drug reference, but <laughs> yeah. they wouldn't have that come down from that elevated anxiety level because of a loud noise, they would actually still be anxious while they're having their coffee in a safe environment as such. Correct. And and it's the, the part of the brain that is responsible for this reaction is enlarged and more sensitive in those of us with an anxiety disorder. And so mm. I, I have an anxiety disorder. I'm medicated for my anxiety, but the medication is it's highly recommended that medication is is uh, taken in conjunction with therapy. And I've had yeah. many over 10 years of therapy I've had, and I obviously have my own uh, behavioral therapy training, which I use on myself. Yeah. And so <laughs> the medication for some people like myself, whose anxiety is so high that when you when your anxiety is high, the prefrontal cortex behind the forehead, the executive functioning part of the brain that really helps you to think straight is not available and so for some of us the medication helps to bring us to a point where we can take on board and learn new strategies and tools and thinking skills and we can have enough of that pause between something that happens and our response to be able to use what we're learning and so it's been quite the lifesaver for me but for people with an anxiety disorder, typically the amygdala is enlarged and more sensitive and fires off that alarm of threat um, much more frequently. And sometimes even you can feel highly anxious and you don't know why because something's been detected that you haven't consciously registered. It could be a scent. It could be. Oh. It could be. A, it could be a scent of a person who. Um, caused you grief in the past could be the same same aftershave or same the same perfume. Or same perfume yeah. yeah it could be it could be a scent because it's our senses that are taking yeah. these things in and that's why uh, sometimes we can have all of these reactions switched on and we can feel wow. really highly anxious and we're like I don't know why I feel I feel this way um and what I say to people is you know, in the same way that sometimes we just don't know why our little baby's crying, 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 we can't work it out. It's okay. We we still do the same thing when we're highly, highly anxious. We can yeah. use grounding strategy. We can start to use our breathing. If we're not panicky, if we're really, really panicky, breathing can, can can't isn't always helpful, but bringing ourselves back into the present moment so that we can start to show our system that we're safe and settle, settle it back down. But yeah. Um, Hopefully that gives some insights to some of your listeners. No, that's great. That's awesome. And look, does does if anxiety is left unchecked, right? So people 
deal with this and continue. Can it lead to mental illness? Can it lead to other mental illnesses as such? Well, it is classified as a mental illness in and of itself, so... (laughs) Okay. Yes. There we go. No, this, this is just all about learning. This is the, yeah. the thing about podcasts no. is that, um, yeah, absolutely. So yes, uh, there's often what we, we call a comorbidity with depression. So many people okay. who experience anxiety will experience depression. Okay. And so left unchecked, uh, anxiety will in many, many cases just get worse. Oh, okay. So, so it doesn't lead to anything else like, I'm trying to think now because you've said depression, which like um, to, I don't know, I don't know why bipolar comes to mind, but it doesn't lead to any other like schizophrenia, bipolar or any other. They're like what I would class as m- mental conditions as such yes. I don't know if conditions is the right word you're probably a better at wording this than I am <laughs> okay. so but or so what you're saying is anxiety gets worse and and potentially is linked to depression as such so if you're very very anxious you can be very depressed because your anxiety leads you to that sometimes um, what can happen is high anxiety eventually the, the the brain and body just cannot cope any longer with that high arousal yeah, level. Shuts down. And so it can it can shut down. But what what we will often see is that somebody who maybe has a schizophrenia or a schizoaffective disorder, for example, that their the anxiety might be the first thing that becomes noticeable. And upon further investigation, there may be other things uncovered. And so there can be right. these um parallel uh, challenges, uh, yeah. psychological challenges, but it's outside of my my wheelhouse uh, for the most part. Yeah, no, but, so, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> no, but like, but the thing is, like, you were just you went to the doctor just feeling. You know, well, I say just feeling depressed. That's horrible because that just makes it sound like it was just depression. But like, you went to the doctor depressed mm-hmm. and not understanding how you could get out of it. But then underlying that was your anxiety, really. And that's what that's what you were saying so I'm just wondering if people can be anxious but underlying that are, are other things which is what you've just sort of said oh yeah, yeah I guess pe- people are, are, are anxious for for lots of different reasons and and look it's 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 something to I, I think things come to light over time depending on circumstances and so some people and, and, you know, there, there are people who might experience a discrete period of anxiety when there's a, a very difficult situation in a workplace and they're able to move, you know, so it's prolonged, move on yeah. from the workplace, put a lot of good skills into action over time with the right counselling and support, help, new environment and not the same triggers and that can settle. But other people might experience anxiety that um, may you know, in, in time down the years, there may be other things about the person's mental health that, that are uncovered, but it's not a given. Um, yeah. But they, they it, no. it can be hand in hand with, with other challenges. It's uh, very individual. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. So, look, how do people get in contact with you regarding um, if they want to learn more about, if they think they've got anxiety, if they want to learn more about um, and help their anxious kids or whatever? I mean, how do they how do they get in contact with you? Oh gosh, there's lots of ways. Um, so drjodyrichardson.com is my website, D-R-J-O-D-I Richardson. 
And that's a place where you'll be able to have a look at the two books that I've written. I co-authored Anxious Kids with Michael Gross. Yeah. And in 2019 and in 2020 in lockdown, uh, the irony is I was highly anxious writing a book called Anxious Mums. And yeah. so that book uh, is also available there. And, of course, um, I'm active on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook, and I have my podcast, of course, which is called, well, Hello Anxiety. And yeah. so that's a place where people can uh, connect with me through there and learn a little bit more, uh, learn a lot more and uh, learn a little bit more about um, my story as well. Yeah, no, that would be great. That's great. Awesome. And I'll advertise all of those, um, I'll put all of those links in the actual details for the podcast. So that's cool. So look, I just have one final question for you. Go ahead. Not sure if we can hear the tingling in the background because my son's at home with me today. Um, so if you could have a superpower, what would it be? What would it be? Oh, my gosh. Question without warning, a superpower. Yeah. A superpower. Um, oh, in the past, I've answered this question in really lame ways where I've, I think of superpowers. <laughs> no way is a lame way. No <laughs> I think lame. of superheroes and I think about x-ray vision and things like that but I think yeah. I think my superpower would be to connect people with the right people that will serve them well in their journey through life I really think that that would be an amazing power to have to help people okay. come together and find the the their tribe who understand them support them and uh lift them and raise them to be the best they can be and to cope when things are tough. Connect a woman. That's what you'll be. <laughs> <laughs> no, all good. All good. Yeah, no, look, I think that's good. I think we definitely, um, I think the world in general throws people at us when we need them mm. um, or situations and circumstances to go, Hey, you need to really sort this out. Um, or, hey, this person's here to support you and help you do X, Y, and Z. I know that's happened to me quite a lot in my life. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's great. Yeah. I think we need to do that. So having that skill and being able to connect people would be brilliant. Mm. We, all be need, awesome. we all need good people in our lives. It really is the thing that brings us oh, the definitely. most joy and happiness. It really is. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I agree. Yes, very much so. Um, so, look, thank you. I know you're busy, so thank you so much for spending the time with us. Um, and, yeah, look, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Claire. It's been so lovely chatting with you. And, uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me. We've chatted me. several times. We've chatted several <laughs> times, haven't we? No, it's great. I love talking to you. It's brilliant. Look, yeah, thank you. Have, have a fantastic day today. Thanks so much, Claire. You take care of yourself. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you would like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content you want to hear just like this. If you want to check out our past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources, and show notes, go to our website, 
www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey and Twitter. I hope you have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.